All right, this week I'm introducing Steve Henson, who is a very special guest here. He's going to be the official, occasional, future co-host for Archives for Aliens, and he's also my partner in life. Uh, Steve's an economics professor, and he runs a pretty big MBA program. So today, we're going to get an economist's take on the future of Bitcoin and why consuming local goods and services is one of the best ways to create a more sustainable and egalitarian society. We're going to talk about the difference between the illusion of value and actual capital. And we're going to leave this episode with practical ways you can start investing in the type of future that you want to believe in. So stay tuned for more episodes where an idealist millennial who knows nothing about banks continues to challenge traditional ways of doing business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Archives for Aliens, a podcast recorded for future life on Earth, planet Earth, consciousness, creativity, the nature of reality, cool people making things, and life outside the box. What makes you tick? My mother. You didn't see the card yet. Oh, okay, yeah. (laughs) I was talking to my mother about rush our test today, though, so... Anyway, you'll see the card. <laughs> that looks like a fossil from a very, a, a not surprisingly extinct creature. Um, that um, interesting. Anyway, so yeah, this is a, a this is like a, an interesting clay like sculpture thing. Um, what I notice about it, other than it looks like a fossil, is that it's really monochromatic. You know, it's like a like a uh, like tan or taupe on taupe, which reminds me of my mother, who um, tends to paint everything brown and tan and taupe. And so, yes, it is all about my mother. So we're going to spend the night talking about my mother, um, and perhaps about um, non-representational art, which is what I think I'm looking at. Um, and uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, It did look like a fossil when you first handed it to me. Pretty cool. Well, welcome. Welcome to the show. I thank you. Thank you for inviting me to the show. The show all about mothers. So, <laughs> what do we what do we do? How does this work? So, just so that our audience can get to know you a little bit, I like to start with the question, what do you believe about the nature of reality? Um well, I, th- I think the, probably the, the best answer to that is I don't believe anything. I'm, I'm just incredibly peacefully agnostic about, um, about all such unanswerable questions. But um, I, I think um, to do what I do and to uh, get by in the world, I guess I, I tend to be a bit of a, what's, what's the word for, scientific materialist. You know, I, I tend to sort of just take, uh, take existence at face value. 
you know, assume that the building across the street's really there and, um, and that if I go in there, you know, I can buy my groceries and I am actually hungry and, and all the such things as that. None of that may be true, of course. I, I totally catch, you know, get that. But, um, but yeah, I, I been there, you know, been on that trip and came back and happy to be home. So, yeah, I, I'm an agnostic, the happy agnostic. What do you think I'm about... Relabel myself that, the happy agnostic. <laughs> yes, go ahead. The idea of living in a simulation. It, it's um, interesting, but not compelling, because I don't know anything I can do with it. You know, so at heart, I'm, I'm a pragmatist. So if, if it were true, if it was kind of like the Matrix and like, you know, and I could like, once I figure that out, I could do like really totally cool stuff, like dodge bullets and stuff. And then I'd be like, okay, yeah, this is great. Glad to find out. Um, but absent that, I'm kind of like, hey, you know, interesting idea. don't know what to do with it. So I'm just going to look at it. Put it on a shelf, look at it every once in a while, point it out to people when they come over, say, hey, what a pretty idea. It's kind of cool, but don't know what to do with it, so just leave it sitting on the shelf here. <laughs> well, was that the shortest interview ever? Am I kicked off the show now? No. <laughs> what ideas are you excited about these days? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. usually I get excited about ideas that, that relate to people in some form or fashion. Um, so, and that may, that may be part of my answer to the, to the previous question. It's like, yeah, if it's, if it's purely a, you know, kind of a, you know, I guess for lack of a better way of putting it, existential question, you know, the nature of existence. And I'm like, well, that's fine. Um, or a scientific question. I'm just almost equally kind of indifferent about it. But if you start talking about, oh, why is that person doing that odd thing or that not odd thing? Or, you know, why is that, why, why are people making that decision that's really so obviously not a great decision? Oh, then, then I kind of get interested. Then, then you can kind of pique my interest. And then, you know, and then I'm all over the place. Absolutely all over the place. Everything, everything about human behavior, I think, is kind of cool and interesting. So, yeah, and you know, nothing, lots of things, nothing particular. You know, that's really kind of, you know, interesting me lately. Um, like, like what? Well, so one thing I wanted to ask you about is digital currency. Okay, I can talk about digital currency, which is, you know incredibly bland, but I certainly can do it and will. I can talk about why crazy people are, you know, investing their life savings in digital currency, which then gets a lot more interesting to me. Can you explain like why that that's crazy? Because from sure, my sure. perspective as a person who, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about how these systems work. It's taken me a long time just to get my basic finances in order. Like, I just don't understand it. So okay, can we start I, from there? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 I'll delineate in my mind the difference between an investment and a gamble. So um, an investment, I, um, there's an apartment complex, and I'm thinking, well, should I invest my money in this apartment complex? Well, why would I do that? Well, because it's going to pay me rent. 
And I know it's going to pay me rent year after year after year. And so if I put my money into this, in, you know, I buy this apartment complex, you know, I know, I know what it's worth because I know what, you know, you know, given the rate of return, the cost, I can kind of infer eh, if I want, you know, if I want to rent to, to human beings, I probably want like a 10 or 15% rate of return. Then I can kind of back into a price. I know what it's worth. That's an investment. It's an investment because it's going to generate income because it does something productive. And I in in since it does something productive, I know it's going to create, it's going to generate wealth. Uh, a, a Bitcoin, it's just like, you know, so I, I can go and I can put, um, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in this apartment complex, or I can go put a couple hundred thousand dollars into this really cool looking statue. Um, well, people do that, but I, but Ooh, that it's statue. it's a good thing I don't make statues. What's that? It's a good thing I don't make statues. Well, you know, the $200,000 statues, that'd be pretty cool. Uh, I, I well, what makes them a $200,000 statue? Nothing makes them a $200,000 statue. And that's exactly my point, that there's no intrinsic value. There, there is an intrinsic value to the apartment complex, the value of those rent payments. How much are you willing to give up now for that future stream of income payments, those rent payments? That, that makes sense. That's logical. That's an investment. If I go and buy that statue and I call that investment, the only way that it's possibly an investment is if someone down the road is willing to pay more than I paid for it. But that does happen with art. It happens. But why does it happen? What, what gives it that, that extra value? That's just pure speculation. That's just pure hope that someone will do that. But there's no intrinsic value to it. Now, there's intrinsic value to art. Don't tell me wrong. You know, there, there is art that I will, I will pay money for because I want to own it and want to look at it and want to appreciate it. Um, so it's consumption. That's consumption, not an investment. But as an investment, there's not, it's, it's a gamble. It's a gamble that it's going to f- become worth more. What about like a Van Gogh though? Well. Or somebody who's super famous that's not here anymore? Well, it's still a gamble. It's still a gamble that people are going to appreciate it more in the future than they do now and therefore pay more for it in the future than they do now. Maybe we're at the peak of people's appreciation for Van Gogh. Maybe this is it. You know, Van Gogh is on the you know, ascendance and for hereafter, Van Gogh's on the descendants. That's not the right word. That's not a real word. But anyway, decline. Um, so who knows? But uh, but even that, even even setting that aside, Van Gogh, you know, you, you at least can like imagine that people are going to say, well, I really liked own that Van Gogh because it was really important in, in the you know, sort of the development of art, and in, and so for for historic reasons, people are always going to appreciate this particular painting. Um, like like today, you know, back to the subject tonight, which is my mother. You know, I was showing my mother some you know some early Kaczynski paintings because we were talking about um, abstract art. Um, but you know, that, you know, they're valuable because I'm like, that was exactly a hundred years ago. And I'm looking at this painting saying, wow, this is really great. We can see, you know, how he sort of, you know, you know, sort of opened up this whole line of thought. A Bitcoin? What the hell is that? You know, it's, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing except it's not even, it's not even a piece of paper or a coin or anything. It's just a bet. It's just a gamble. 
It's just like going into a casino and putting your $50,000 down on the gamble that somebody else is going to come along and put $55,000 down for it. But it has zero, zero intrinsic value. It probably won't work as a currency. We can talk about that separately. Um, and therefore, people who say they're investing in Bitcoin, they're just basically, I mean... But people have made a lot of money by yeah, investing people, in Bitcoin. Yes, yes, but that's that was But it. at some point you think it will end? Is that what you're saying? What's What's... It has no intrinsic value. It has to end. We can't put all our wealth into Bitcoin. What if we did? What? If, I don't know. Okay, well, now follow the logic for a minute. What if What if of all the surplus, so every year we produce a certain amount of income, and a certain amount of that has to be used for consumption, and let's say all the surplus income, so savings, that we generate, instead of going into building new factories, apartment complexes, things like that, we take all that surplus and we put it all into Bitcoin. But what if we just took everything out of the bank and put it into Bitcoin? No, why not? Same thing. That, that, that's the same. How is it the same it, thing? It's, it's in the bank. Well, yeah, but the money in the bank is being borrowed by other people to build buildings, apartment complexes, things like that. The money's being used productively to build. So, so. Oh what, wait, can we go back in and clarify that for a second? Yeah, let me let me let me backtrack for a second. Let me let me do it. Um, so so. Every year, we, we basically use a certain amount of resources. And we use resources for one of two things. Current consumption, so the food I eat, you know, the clothes I'm wearing, um, just stuff like that. And for assets, we'll call it, um, that are used to make future consumption. So I can basically use my money to, you know, go on a vacation, or I can use my money to build um, an apartment complex. Okay. But um, so one, once I consume, it's gone. That's current consumption. The other, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm using resources, but I'm using resources that are then going to in turn create value for people year after year after year in the future. So it's current consumption, or future consumption. So all the resources we use in a given year are for one of those two purposes. Now, if money goes, if you earn, you know, $100 and you put $20 in the bank, okay, $80 for current consumption, $20 in the bank is savings. Well, that $20 then is borrowed by someone who, if they don't use it for their current consumption, invested in future consumption. They build a factory. They, they invest it in their business or something like that. So we're always making a choice between those two things. Now, where, where something like Bitcoin is kind of weird is like, well, what if we, everyone took that extra $20 and put it in Bitcoin? Then there'd be no new apartments. There'd be no new factories. There'd be no car plants. There'd be, you know, right, no startup businesses because all the capital would be tied up in an asset that isn't going to create any future consumption. So we, as a society, would be no would become no better off, and actually worse off because assets d depreciate. So it's not it's not an it's not an investment in the future. It's a gamble. It's a gamble that there's someone out there who's going to pay more for it than someone else. You know than than you did. Um, and just because that's happened in the past, 
does not mean that's going to happen again. You know, someone took a gamble in the past and they won. So other people think, well, then if I take the same gamble, I'll win, which of course is who bought it from them. And then someone thinks, oh, wow, those two guys won. So I'll, I will buy it because then I'll win. But that's, that's, a, that's a fallacy of composition. That doesn't work. Because eventually, sort of the greater fool theory, eventually there's no one else to sell it to. And then it well, has no value. So I have a couple questions sure. about this. So I just want to clarify. So when you talk about this idea of when money is in the bank, it's somehow producing the future. Do you mean that's because when the money's in the bank, the bank lends it out to other people? So that, And it's yes. that money, the way that we use money is like people make money off of money. And that's like the biggest way people make money because of charging interest. Yeah, but don't get, no, no, it's not about the charging interest. That's a, that's a different issue. No, always think of money. Never think of money as in and of itself meaning anything at all. What money is, is a claim against resources. So money is a proxy. So what money says, if you have a lot of money, that means you get to dictate what happens with a lot of stuff. So say you've got, um, say you've got $100,000. You can basically dictate where, what happens with four automobiles. Because you mm-hmm. could go out and buy four cars. If you don't have that money, you have no say what happens to all those automobiles. So when we're talking about money, I just want to clarify this because this is something I get really confused too when people talk about money. When we mean $100,000, does that mean that $100,000 is sitting in the bank? Is it sitting in investments? Do I own four cars already that are worth $100,000? When we say money, we typically don't mean investments. So Cash. We'll call it cash. We'll call it cash or, or near cash, something near cash. Money's a very ambiguous thing, but we never mean investments. Uh, when we say when we say money, we don't mean that 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 grocery store stock. across the street. That's the stock count. No, because stock just basically means you own that grocery store across the street. So stock is not money. Stock's wealth, but it's not money. So no, we don't mean that by money. Okay. So, yeah. but what if Bitcoin had a system where you could do Bitcoin loans? Would that change the no, no, no. schematic? No, I mean you know, all you're uh, saying in that case is could Bitcoin be money? Sure, it could be. Yeah, you know, we could, we could use Bitcoin, and we do, I guess, to some extent. We could, we could imagine Bitcoin as being, quote unquote, money, um, that commands a certain amount of resources, and that's people think is going to happen. That maybe some point it will displace the U.S. dollar and other, other fiat currencies. I, I you know. Not Bitcoin, anyway. Maybe maybe some other digital currency in the future will do that. Um, you know, the nature of Bitcoin makes that probably impractical as a medium of exchange, just by the very nature of the of the of the blockchain. You know that that is the 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 cost of doing transactions is too high. But isn't that the whole point of Bitcoin that it can't be hacked and it can't be cheated? Yeah, but the, but it comes at too high a price in terms of efficiency. But I mean, how can you? How can anyone say that? Like, if if the system is safe and it can't be cheated, but but the efficiency. Why can't? Why won't we pay for that? Yeah, but we we don't pay for that. Just we pay for that with um, you know, with with global warming. We pay for that with electricity usage. You know, every time every time someone makes a you know a, a Bitcoin transaction, every time a Bitcoin changes changes hands, that's computing power distributed over multiple multiple computers taking place. Yeah. And so when you when you scale that up, 
um, and I don't know the numbers on this, but I, I, but when you scale that up, it actually has a really big impact on the environment. It's not sustain, mm-hmm. It's not ecologically sustainable. The Bitcoin mo- model isn't sustainable. It's really it's really that bad. It's that power bad. wise. It's that bad power wise. My my understanding. Okay. I'm, I'm speaking as a novice, but my understanding is that bad. Now there there might be others that don't have quite that same approach. But um, how is that any better than like you know we have people being I don't, basically tortured digging up gemstones and well those those gold. Money, well those are money or gold that's not either I wouldn't call that money either gold's not money anymore so gold either. has nothing to do with money anymore no it's not, just an expensive gold gold thing. and Bitcoin are analogous neither one of them have any intrinsic value gold maybe for like you know so what makes money why why does this paper why are you saying it has intrinsic value it doesn't it doesn't either it doesn't need to so what does um that that uh, grocery store across the street does apartment building does a car does clothes do you know this computer does all those things have intrinsic value they have use value right again money is just a proxy we could use gold for money if we all decided that's what we wanted to do that'd be totally cool we could all use bitcoin if we all decided that's what we wanted to do, if that was a collective agreement, we'd do that. So Whatever, why do you think we won't do that? Well, I think Bit, not Bitcoin simply because, again, like I said, it's just too inefficient. Okay, so digital maybe a curr- different digital currency. Yeah, sure. Yeah, the Chinese are experimenting with a digital currency. Um, you know, I, I, I think we will probably develop, a, the U.S. will develop a digital currency. Yeah, I think digital currency is totally great. It's that distributed, anonymous... Do you think it will use the blockchain? We may use blockchain technology. You know, blockchain, just this idea of having multiple, you know, ledgers. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. There's a, there's a real inefficiency with that that doesn't exist with the digital money we use now. I mean, I use digital money constantly because I use yeah. my credit card for almost every transaction. That's but digi- isn't that digital. so vulnerable? Yes, it is vulnerable. But the, but the trade-off is... Only one computer needs to make that transaction entry. So I, I, you know, this isn't my expertise. Okay. But I, but I can say that, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not betting on Bitcoin uh, for transaction purposes. And therefore, I think Bitcoin's probably a bad investment long term. It may go, it may go to a million for all I know. But then whoever paid a million dollars for it's probably going to lose money. Somebody's going to lose money on it. Eventually, it's not a Ponzi scheme, but it's like a Ponzi scheme. You know, eventually, somebody's left holding the, the bag. Don't know who it'll be, but the last okay. buyer, the last buyer, is going to be really regret it. Yeah. So, and everyone else who profited will have profited at that at that person. That's just another human being at their expense. But they still might profit a lot. No, no. Well, some no, people have. Say, no, no, no. Let me let me re, let me explain that. So let's say the first person pays ten dollars, and then they're able to sell it to someone for twenty. Okay. Um, so they made ten dollars. Mm-hmm. The second person paid twenty, and they're able to sell it for thirty. They made ten dollars. The last person paid thirty. Let's say it goes to zero. So person one made ten. Person two made ten. Person three. Lost 30. So whoever's last with it, kind of like that game where you're like passing around the 
potato and you don't want to be holding the potato. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. Yeah. So, so everyone who's profited off of holding Bitcoin, every, every dollar of profit will be paid. Not, I mean, it has to come from somewhere, right? The money has to come from, from the very last person to buy it. Whoever winds up with it when its, when its value goes back to zero, when there's no more buyers, whoever's left holding it at that point, all the money they lose is all the money that basically everyone before ever made. That's a, it's what goes called a zero-sum game. And zero-sum games really suck. That's what gambling is. Gambling is a zero-sum game. Hmm. You know, for every winner, there's a loser. Equal. There's an equal loser. Oh, that's okay. not true. I, di- I didn't understand. That's what you were saying. Yeah, but f- with, with the schnooks, that's not true because it creates value. So, are you saying that there will be equal losers? There will be. Yes. With the Bitcoin system. Absolutely. Yeah. With spe- we're not seeing with, it yet, but at some point. With speculation. With speculation. There. Yeah. Speculation is a zero sum game. Is there any way that this is like not true? <sighs> Possibly, I guess, if we adopt Bitcoin as our monetary standard and its value never goes to zero then they won't have lost that they won't have lost all of it i, I see so either we literally have to take it on as our yeah, money we, system or we're going to drop it at some point Is yeah or drop it or saying? yeah again just imagine you know you just always get to follow these things to their logical conclusion at some point everyone has going to have at one point invested in bitcoin and sold it but what if there's a group of people like i just know you know a lot of people i'm kind of connected with who like we want to believe in this thing that's outside the government like what if there's this small group of people that just decides oh we're going to operate outside of regular money we're going to operate in bitcoin sure we're going to be the alternative Please. trade system like could that just yeah you could be do that. that way like, yeah could you yeah I mean, would just, we have to pay taxes no 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 oh well i'm not sure about that <laughs> if you on the appreciation you might but um but um no, you could do that. So let's say let's say that everyone goes out together and buys up the Bitcoin and you know some group of people. And they all say, "Okay, we are no longer going to use dollars. We're all going to use we all agree to use Bitcoin." Yeah. No then then you're not really speculating anymore. You're just trading your money for another money. No different than trading your dollars for euros and saying, "Hey, we're all just going to use euros now." Or we're all going to use Japanese yen now or something. So like all the cool people could just be all like, the cool people have their own monetary standard. That would be that's different. So then, yeah, because then we're not you're not really gambling on it going up in value. You're just like I'm just taking it at the value it is. I'm never going to look back. You know that's what it cost me to buy into this new system, and now I'm in it. And now let's go forward. Well, but, I mean, I feel like that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's kind of cool, but you got it. But enough, everyone has to do it. You can say, because like I said, everyone that you're basically trading with has to use the same one. Otherwise, every once in a while, you're going to have to trade back out of Bitcoin, back into dollars to make some kind of transaction. And if Bitcoin has lost value because all all the idealists who wanted to buy Bitcoin have bought it, and therefore there's no one else interested in buying it. And what if go it goes to, the other way around, though? Because all the cool people are in Bitcoin. Yeah, but, but let's, let's start with the idea that there's like a, a limited number of cool people in the world, a fixed number of cool people. Um, and so the, this, fixed, this fixed number of cool people have bought their Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. 
and and they're, and they're all kind of cool trading you know with each other and yeah but then one of them decides that they need to go do something that they can't do with bitcoin so now they've got to like buy a house or something yeah, yeah perhaps yeah yeah whatever it might be yeah so it's just like you know you, you all of a sudden you want to make some kind of transaction in Europe and all you have are U.S. dollars. You got to make you got to convert currencies. So then you got to get out of the Bitcoin. But here's the problem: everyone, all the cool people, have bought their Bitcoin. So there's no more buyers. No, you know, because everyone else is like me, and they're 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 not cool and they don't want Bitcoin. And so there's nobody interested in buying your Bitcoin back from you for dollars. So maybe you paid, you know, maybe you you know maybe you gave up. Um, yeah, but go with that fifty thousand is just ridiculous. But let's say you gave up twenty thousand US dollars to get your Bitcoin and you're ready to come back out of it and you can only get a thousand dollars. Well, you're gonna really feel screwed because your your currency, the Bitcoin, just depreciated really substantially. But maybe you could buy other stuff in the cool market. If if the cool market is sufficient, then then you're fine. Yeah, you know, but they're just it's, it's still, you know, it's a gamble, but, you know. I get what you're saying. It's risky, but. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to think that it wouldn't just collapse to, to nothingness. and that But there it could totally can. Be, but it I t- mean, I see how, I understand what you're saying. It could. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, I could, if you know, I don't have any data with me. I used to do this in my class, but, you know, to teach about inflation. But, you know, if you looked at, uh, you know, back in 1982, we were having this very same conversation about gold. You know, there was no Bitcoin, obviously. You barely had computers. But uh, we were having the same conversation about gold. Because there had been so much inflation in the 1970s. Everyone thought gold's, you know, gold is if you want to hold wealth for the long term, protect yourself against inflation. I'm sorry, wealth for the long term and protect yourself against inflation. You, you buy gold. Um, but in 1982, you know, well, we got to do, you know, um, chairman of the Fed, we, we, you know, we, we dealt with inflation, the inflation rate came, came back down to very reasonable levels by the mid 1980s. And the need for an inflation hedge kind of went away. And it's really inconvenient, you know, because if you want to go buy groceries, you can't spend gold, you had to, you know, so it's just easier to hold your money as, uh, you know, in US currency, for transactions purposes. So, and if you're not worried about inflation, what's the house? Why have this hassle of gold? So what happened to the price of gold? Collapsed. So all the gold bugs who are like hoarding gold, thinking that's that's the way to hold wealth. That's you know, well, they went in at a high price. They came out at a low price. It's just um, because we didn't go back to the gold standard, even though people were talking about it back then. I remember Jack Kemp. He ran on that platform you know, for the in the uh, Republican primary against Reagan back in 1980, but just, mm. you know, that's... Okay. So, anyway, it's um, it's it's speculative. It's speculative. It's it's a gamble. It's it's cool. It's kind of... It's got a hip thing, you know, story behind it, but... Um, well, so. what do you think people like me who really want to support a new, more just economy, like what can we do instead of pouring money into Bitcoin? Yeah, well, pouring money into Bitcoin, that's just silly. Um, you know, I mean, buy, buy local, buy small, buy from, you know, um, you know, um, um, ethically sourced, you know, sources, you know. But that's organic. all buying. 
um, then like invest. Where, then inv- where, what do you invest in? Mm, well, one first again, investing in bitcoins not investing at all. Um, you know, then I don't know. It's a it's a good question. You I mean there are some there are some like funds that do you know like ethical investing. Um, probably if you like looked around, I have like one former student who's doing microfinance. You know, you probably could find a you know a, a microfinance um, fund. Is you know putting money into you know very very small businesses, particularly you know like in developing countries. I I don't know, um, but I I I think that's a great thing to do because again, money's power. Money is control of resources, and if you want to you know div, you know to direct your resources to things you believe in, and it doesn't have to be an investment. I mean, obviously, you can also just be for nonprofits and so on. But if you want to direct your resources to things you really believe in, that's great. That's that's what money's for. Then you know that's because if if you know the more people who do that the more of that kind of thing we're going to do and less of the other kind of thing we're going to do. So I think that's, that's great. But you do have to do, you have to do your homework, find, find, find those opportunities, find things you believe in. Some of those will be, you know, more traditional, you know, you know, market oriented companies. And some of those may be very non-market oriented things happening that you still can find ways of, you know, becoming part of. What what do you think that people can do to support a future where there's more financial equality and more shared resources? Like yes, this idea of living in abundance. Um, those are, those are kind of two two separate ideas. Um, um. Well, I mean, as far as you know, you know, what can you do to make a more a more egalitarian? world i mean again probably try to you know it's, it's again where you put your resources in terms of consumption you know buy local buy small um you know don't you know probably sort of skew you know corporate you know corporations you know for consumption purposes um pay attention to uh you know companies that you do buy from make sure that they um you know how how well do they treat you know the, their labor force? How well do they treat their suppliers? How responsible are they with respect to the environment? You know, be be an informed consumer, and and that's increasingly easy to do because that that kind of information's you know much more available than it used to be. As an investor, kind of the same thing. You know, it's like um, you know don't don't invest in companies that. Um, that um, you know, it's, it's almost a contradiction, unfortunately, but it's but it's reality. But if you invest in companies that are going to make you rich, you're probably investing in companies that are really hyper focused on efficiency, and probably materialism and consumption, and that's probably not what you want to do. You might want to like invest your money in companies that seem to not be so efficient. That tend to you know have you know treat their workers better, pay higher wages. You know, you invest in money in companies that pay living wages. You just have to become informed. But I, I would say just, you know, if you have money, if you have wealth, um, then you have the power and you just need to use it responsibly, be a good steward of it. Um, but, um, if, but if that's what you believe in, a more egalitarian 
you know, more socially conscious society, then, then the market, the market works. The market pays attention to the signals people give. If consumers say, I want this, I want to work, I only want to deal with companies that treat their employees well, and, you know, um, so, I mean, like, um, like a real, I guess I won't get into specific companies on the podcast, but, but if, um, but it, you know, if I want to invest in companies that treat their, their, their employees well, um, and, and most consumers decided that's what they wanted to do, that's really going to pay off in the marketplace. I mean, I, I'll give you one example of a company that does that on well, a, a positive example. I didn't want to give the negative example. Positive examples like Costco. You know, there's like two competing chains in that in that market space, but one of them has a reputation for really being very pro-employee. And the market's really rewarded that, that company. And, you know, I don't know exactly what the causality is there, but certainly the one that has the, repu- the better reputation is also the one that is doing so much better in the market and, and also giving the better rate of return to, um, or has, to investors. So that's the thing you do. You say, oh, I can invest in this company or that company. That company has a really great reputation. That's what I'll do because I have power. If I have money, I have power. If I have wealth, I have power. And I'm going to use it. And if everyone does that, the market's going to respond because then companies are going to say, wake up and say, oh, crap, no one's investing in us. We, we don't have access to capital. We're not selling products. We're, our profits are decreasing. You know, we need to become more socially conscious. You know, people are, are, are angry with us and they will respond. I think they are responding. I think, I think um, businesses are really changing rapidly um, now. Even corporations are ch- starting really changing their their mindset. I don't know if a corporation can have a mindset, but um, but yeah, they are becoming much. Even even large corporations are becoming much more socially conscious than they used to be. Yeah, and that's responding to the marketplace. You can say, well, they're just chasing profits, but yeah, yeah, that's what the market. That's how it works. Because that's because what they're doing is they're paying attention to what society's telling them. And the market is how society tells businesses what they want. So it's so, working. Like from what I hear, you're, hear what you're saying, it's, it's that people, instead of maybe trying to go and create some whole new system, like if we could just teach the one we have now to work for us instead of against us, that there's hope still in the system that we have. Yeah. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's just, it, it's, um, it's a matter of really... It, it involves more effort. You, you have to be a responsible consumer. You know, you, you can't say, I want to go out and create a new, you know, non-capitalist, non-market economy and then buy your soap from Amazon. You know, you, you've got you to gotta walk the walk. You know, you just can't talk the talk. So you've got to, if, you, if that's what you believe in, then you've got, it's going to come at a, it's going to come at two prices. I mean, one price is you're going to have to spend more time becoming informed, and that's work. And so, if this is if you believe in it, it's going to require work. And the other is it actually is going to be more expensive because that's you know that's what you're asking the company to do is be is to be less efficient to treat mm-hmm. workers better, pay them better. Well, sorry, but in the end, you have to pay for that as a consumer. 
So you're going to, which means you're going to have less stuff. So, you know, but yeah, I, that's exactly what people need to be doing. The other is just, forgive me, but it's just a waste of time to talk about, you know. I mean, I really, I want you to be honest. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm just, yeah, but I mean, it's just, you know, so for people who, who, um, you know, are outspoken, but I don't, you know, that's, you're just, you're just using energy and if it feels good, it feels like you're accomplishing something because you, you made a sign, but you really haven't accomplished anything. You know, what is, what's involved is actually, is painful, but I think we probably should do it, which means we have to live, live smaller and live more sustainably and live more deliberately, you know, and I'm talking about both consuming and investing. And then you actually cause real change in society. Yeah, the other, the other is just sort of, you know, it, it feels good. Hmm. But it's meaningless. And I think a lot of people are really confused about the difference between consumerism and capitalism. Hmm. Okay. Um, they, are, they are slightly different things, but not. Um, so capitalism, I guess, sort of its, at its root is really just about the private ownership of the means of production. So do, do, do private citizens own the grocery store across the street or does the federal, go- you know, does the government, you know, local, state or federal government own the grocery store across the street? You know, but having said that, that's really, it's, it's a lot more than that. Um, so... If I inv- if I'm a capitalist, but really, you don't even know what that term means now in the you know post twentieth century. It's almost more of a nineteenth century term. But if I'm a capitalist, what I'm doing is I'm investing my surplus um, in the hope and expectation. Investing, remember what I mean by that? You know, building productive resources um, in the hope and expectation of getting more in return generating a return. So if I put $100 in, I want $110 out. That's the root of capitalism. Um, so, but that's all, it, that's all it is. Now, what I was trying to get out a few minutes ago, or just a few moments ago, was that, you know, so as a capitalist, I, I'm going to pay attention to what consumers want, though, because I do want their money which means I want to make them happy. And if what makes them happy is me building sustainable products and treating my workers well and, you know, behaving basically as a socially responsible entity, um, if that's what's going to make my consumers happy and make them buy from me, then it's a win-win. And again, then you got Costco. So you're saying even if they're not doing it from the kindness of their heart, even if they're totally doing it for the wrong reasons, it's still... Markets market. solving the problem. It does. Yes, it does. Yeah. Now, consumerism is a different thing. And I don't really have anything positive to say about consumerism. So capitalism is just basically the paradigm we exist in. That, that private individuals own the means of production and they tend to allocate them, which isn't ideal, but they tend to allocate them in their own self-interest so they can generate profit. Mm-hmm. as opposed to doing it for benevolent reasons 
you know, charity or such things as that. I mean, obviously, that would be better if that's who we all were collectively. That Yeah, I, I agree. Um, but the paradigm we live in is that no, most, most, most means of production are in the hands of people who are very interested in, in, in increasing their own wealth. But, but yeah. they're not, but they're not particular about how it's done. Well, so I'm not quite, let me finish up. But you know, so they're not. So if that, if the market dictates that they, that that means they need to do socially responsible things, they'll do it. Consumerism, consumerism, consumerism is really about our our a bias toward. It's almost it's almost more hedonistic. It's that we have built a society with. You know, I can give you I can give you an example here, but it built a society oriented toward consumption there there was a, a kind of a debate i guess early on in economics um i guess in the, the late 18th century between a couple of you know some, sort of two competing schools of thought um mercantilism and then we won't go into any details with this but mercantilism um where economic policy was really kind of directed at the um at the well-being of the state and so mercantilist policies, at least with respect to trade, is we want to export as much as we can. We want to import as little as we can, because by exporting more than we import, we accumulate gold, gold that we can in turn use to build an army, we can use for expansion of the colonies, basically to build the coffers of the, of the, of the monarchy. So it was really directed at the well-being of, I said the state, but really the monarchy in that context. And then you had sort of, um, sort of, classical economics, um, particularly Smith, Adam Smith come along and say, well, that's really not what we ought to be about. What we ought to really be about is providing the best standard of living for the most people. And when, if that's our orientation, then we want to both export and import and we want to like orient our, you know, we, we don't really want to accumulate gold. We want to provide as many goods and services as to many people as possible. Now, it sounds, you know. Yeah, it sounds great. Sounds great. But the the orientation that we've kind of had that kind of grew out of sort of this, this classical orientation in economics is um, that the measure of goodness of economic policy or economic, whatever you want to, you want to say that, is um, providing as many goods and services as to many people as possible. But that's about consumption. Sustainability doesn't really fit in there. You know, this idea of sustainability, that's, that's kind of at odds with that. It wasn't relevant at the time, but that's it, kind of at odds with that. Um, the well, what idea, about more equality? Egalitarianism is going to bring that up. Egalitarianism doesn't really fit into that. That's not... They, they didn't really address that, you know. So, um, most most neoclassical, most you know, modern economics um, tends to have an orientation toward policy that maximizes production, gross domestic production, but production. Um, and so, for example, trade policies tends to be oriented that way. Most economists are very 
pro-free international trade um, because without getting in, without getting to that, hopefully, um, that tends to maximize the amount of goods and services available to everybody. Um, but with free international trade, that can come at the expense of, and has in the case of the United States by far, um, at the expense of economic equality. So in the case of the U.S., if you go back to before we were quite so open with trade, so back to, say, the 1950s, you know, we did a lot of manufacturing in the U.S. Manufacturing provided a lot of middle-class jobs. You know, you could be relatively, um, you know, you could have a rel- relatively limited education, um, relatively limited skills, and still earn a solidly middle-class income in manufacturing because it had relatively high value added. With globalization, obviously most, you know, at least post-1950s, you know, a lot of manufacturing left the United States. So what happened? Then we, um, well, then we saw sort of a bifurcation of society. Those people who would have in the past earned a relatively good living in Flint, Michigan, putting together cars, um, really don't have the skills for the information economy, the knowledge economy. So they're in the service economy. So now they're working at Lowe's or Walmart or, you know, not that those are bad jobs, but they're not, they're not high value added jobs and therefore they're not well-paying jobs. And those people who are relatively well-educated and able to kind of deal with abstract ideas, they're doing pretty well. So, so globalization post-1950 significantly increased the size of the pie in the United States but significantly decrease the you got you know the 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 you know d- decreased um, equality in the United States so there's a trade off so if you are oriented toward maximizing production and you know the production of goods and services and consumption um in just consumption in general without any thought to who gets that consumption then trade's great. If you're really concerned about the distribution of the consumption, even if that means there might be less of it, then trade's not so great. Which then brings me back to what I was saying a little while ago about... Um, Are you talking about international trade? Oh, it's about international trade in that case. But, but all the way back to the local then, if I'm interested in making sure that Americans, the, the average American has, not median, but the average American, has the greatest access to the greatest number of goods, then I want efficiency. I want big companies. I want, you know, want everything run very, very efficiently because I want to decrease cost. If I want a more egalitarian society, I want lots of small businesses. Not very efficient, but Mm -hmm. much much kinder you know so it, it, it so it's a, it's a so if i ca- if i if so if i'm interested in in maximizing the amount of available consumption cons- and that's really what consumerism is if i'm interested in making sure that everyone can have a 56 inch flat screen television then we need efficiency if i say that's not important what we need is an egalitarian society 
then that's that requires a lot less efficiency, which means lots of us can't have 56-inch televisions. So I, I don't like consumerism. I don't like consumerism because it does come at the expense of the environment. It comes at the expense of social social uh, cohesion. And actually, I think it probably also comes at the expense, which is beyond the scope of what I do, of, um, of um, spiritual well-being for people. Yeah, but I mean, even if it, you know, it's beyond the scope of your work you experience that in your day-to-day life oh i think it's true yeah i think um yeah i think i think uh consumption is and i think people do i think people orient their lives toward toward um i can remember the first first house i ever bought and i remember the realtor saying well this is a starter house um and you're probably moving in three to five years never moved you know it's like or never sold that house. You know, it's like, no, that's, that's, that's silly. That's silly. Why, why do I have to, why did I need to go through this progression of, oh, I can afford a better house now. It's time mm-hmm. to move up. I can buy, I can afford a better house now. Time to move up. Saying, so, you know, why, why do I need the very best automobile that I could possibly afford? You know, to, you know, why, but that's people orient themselves toward, you know, achieving these things and because it's it's almost like it's a social expectation to do that that you that you have to do that not 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 for any kind of like negative reason but you have to do that just to to be you know to be a responsible participant in the in the system um well i mean yeah (laughs) Do you think that as more people start to reorient their minds and pay attention to what really matters in life, happiness, peace, creativity, um, like, could we be an egalitarian society inside of capitalism? Is there space for that? Oh, I don't think there's any contradiction at all. No, I think, I think we are becoming that. I think capitalism is changing. The really interesting thing, I can't give you the, the exact, the, uh, the business roundtable, it's a, um, it is a, it's a, it's a group of the, the chief executives of, I, f- I can't tell you the number of corporations, but the largest corporations in the U.S. So they, they meet yearly, every year they had as their, I forget when it started, but like in the 1980s, as sort of, they sort of have like, you know, what is the purpose of a corporation? They have this sort of this like big proclamation. And every year, um, since like the 1980s, it had always been the first and foremost responsibility of a corporation is to provide, maximize shareholder returns, but basically to provide the greatest profits to the owners of the company. Last year, or was it the year before? But anyway, they actually put shareholder wealth like seventh. It was it was a really significant thing. So these again, these are the largest corporations. These are chief executive officers, people running these companies. They put it like seven because they're doing ayahuasca. Maybe just because they're doing ayahuasca. All now. the CEOs are they doing are, it. They're all doing it. They're all they're all there. They've all yeah. They've all been south. But um, but um, so it was like seventh. You know things like um, you know um, you know stakeholders, the environment, workers, all these things came first on their list. And, but really what it is, is, I mean, I, th- I really think that's where their hearts are. I do. I think they're, they are, 
they are you also think that the, they are actually changing i think they themselves are the society's changing and they are just one part of society yes yes we all are, we are all changing and i think they are as well so this does reflect who they are but it also reflects who their customers are and mm-hmm. it reflects who their investors are so they really are just a manifestation of us they are a reflection of us so no, capitalists aren't some like group outside of us who behave in some like negative, bad way. Sometimes they do, but that's not that's not what it's about. They they are just, you know, just like the government is basically a manifestation of the collective. That is not true. That is that is. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> politicians pay attention to their electorate. Now we can go into why you're not happy with policy, which has probably a lot to do with sort of the structure of the electoral Whoa. college and the way yeah, we the Senate. You know, you, how many people? How, just listen for a second. How many people in our government are not puppets? Like how many people are just there being themselves, standing up for what they believe in? Puppets of who? Purpose of what? I don't know. People paying them to do stuff. Well, agendas, alternative agendas that aren't. Just- I, t- I tell you where the where the problem with that. Is. I mean, you're right. You're right about that. I mean, in principle, they are puppets of their constituency, and their constituency, for reasons you know, again outside my expertise, but I at least aware of, don't reflect our existence where we happen to be sitting right now. Because because U.S. politics is very rural oriented, by because of the this, the nature of the Senate and the nature of the Electoral College, it tends to have a very rural orientation. There's a disproportionate representation of of rural voters in our in our public. Now the other problem, but where the real significant problem is, um, is that yes, because elections are so expensive, they tend to be beholden upon. Um, People Funders. who can make large contributions, yes, and enough, and people will do that in their, you know, the, in pursuing their own self-interest. So, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not a perfect system, uh, but, 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 nonetheless, if if that we, you know, they are they are elected, and if we are duped, then then, you know, that's our fault, not theirs. Or being stupid, well, because I don't we know. still get to vote. You know, they're not. I don't know. Okay, well, anyway, we don't <laughs> no just, comment. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. But um, but anyway, but anyway, so but you know, corporations, same thing. But you know, corporations, government, they, you know, all everything, everything that you know, th- these things don't exist outside of us. They are a, they are a representation of us now. It takes time. Change takes a lot of time. And I think that can frustrate people sometimes because they see, you know, I'm a lot older. So I can see that I can see a lot of change has taken place, but I've also had a lot of time for it to have taken place over. You know, so I, my perspective is a little different. So I can see it could be really frustrating for someone, not you, I'm not, not talking about you, but I mean, but for someone young, it can be very frustrating because these, these changes tend to be very evolutionary, not so revolutionary. So it could be decades, decades and decades, and things really do take decades and decades. Um, but I can see the path we're on, the direction of the path we're on is, is positive. But that, I mean, I do agree with that. 
and I do think government will become more responsive, and I do think um, I think corporations will become more responsive quicker. Well, yeah. But, yeah. There's one major issue here that we haven't talked about. Yeah, um, what's that? Well, so I definitely see how corporations are becoming more socially responsible, more sustainable, you know, supporting their employees. But the the problem that I see with capitalism that I don't know how to reconcile is that because it's so much about producing things, items, these physical things, I don't know how it can better support these people that are operating in our society that are not getting paid enough for their time, such as teachers, nurses. Um, I mean, so many examples, just basically like people that are providing services that are incredibly valuable. Yeah. And, and it's not being valued and you can't count it because it's not a toothbrush. Yeah, I, 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 I wish I could. I wish I could magically transform into someone else right now um who could give you a much better response you know the people i know but um yeah there's, there's a whole field in economics that's wrestling with this question and has been wrestling with this question for is some there time. a name for it because it seems like yeah. there's this giant gap of people that are not well i don't i don't have a name for that 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 phenomenon but the but the the um the field of study that's that's interested in this question at least parts of this question is is feminist economics because there is a one sort of anomaly in um, in in the market economy is that we tend to devalue um, caring work, yeah, and healing work too. Yes, and those and so the reason why this is of interest to to feminist and feminist writers is that. Um, there tends to be a correlation between the things the market values and um, what the market doesn't value in gender. Gender? Yes, gender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not, not, not sex, but gender. Um, so the things the market values tend to be very masculine. The things the market devalues tends to be the, the, you know, the, 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 the feminine. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a real... That's a real quandary perplexing problem i and i i I really never have devoted i mean other than just saying yeah that's really really sucks i don't know what's going on there um you know i could speculate but then you know it's going to sound like an idiot but uh Mm -hmm. maybe it's because of the you know sort of the the prototypical nuclear family Particularly coming out of, let's say, through through the nineteen through the nineteen fifties, um, you know, up through, you know, I like to use the nineteen fifties a lot as an example, but like you know, the nineteen fifties, you know, your your prototypical nuclear family, you know, you had the the husband working, you know, the wife maybe working, maybe not working, you know, the children, you know, all perfectly well behaved, et cetera, but um, but because there were there was the there was I, I, who said that? I can't remember now. I get, there was someone once where I worked that said, literally said, we don't need to pay women as much because they're married or something like that. Literally? Literally said that. Literally said that. Yeah, this has been decades ago. But That's terrifying. 
So, so, uh, but I, but I think, I don't know why this is the case. I don't know why, but yes, educators, you know, I'm talking about K through 12, K through 12 educators are paid well. Uh, nurses for the work they do, for the work yeah. they do, aren't paid that well. Um, other caregivers aren't paid that well. So the more there's, there's this like strange market anomaly, whereas um, a professional male, because they don't pay female ones as well, professional male basketball players paid really well. And which one creates the greater social value? Obviously, the K through twelve educator, the nurse. Obviously, yeah. but the market, the market just pays attention to what people pay for. So there's a whole field of economics that's, that's dealing with or trying to get you know trying to make some sense of this phenomena. Mm-hmm. But I will say though, yes, this is a real. I said anomaly, but this is a real problem with the market economy. That we don't value the right things. The well, market doesn't can, reward the right things always, and that's and sometimes it's really unfortunate in a very significant way, very harmful, hurtful way. So I, I think that that matters yeah. a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, aside from that pocket, I, I think another area that is not valued is like the idea of pure research or pure art. Yeah, that's tough. That's a tough one. Um, you're right. Discovery. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, then I would also say just the humanities. You know, I would throw the yeah. humanities in there with that then too. But I mean, um, so much of this is about just not having a physical thing. It's bas- It's like we've been operating as if the only things that matter are physical in nature. No, I, I, I'm going to take uh, some disagreement with you there because the things we tend to value the most now tend not to have a physical manifestation, social media. So it's not that physicality. It's the marketability of it. You know, so there, and, you know, there's, so there, there are things markets do really well. I mean, just real quickly, you sort of delineate um, the types of goods. So what markets do really well um, are allocate goods that are excludable and rival. Excludable meaning that if you don't pay for it, you can't derive any benefit from it. So if you don't pay for um, you don't pay for a car, you can't drive it. Oh, okay. I see. Um, rival rival goods are goods that if I have a car, you can't have the car. Okay, so markets are really really good at dealing with those types of goods. Markets really struggle with the non-excludable non-rival. So let's take the opposite quadrant: the good that that I can't really force you to pay for the great idea the inspiration wow how do i exclude someone from the insight into the nature of reality how do i charge for that how do i market that market doesn't have a clue now the problem with that is that it's non-rival so if you have some great insight into the nature of reality we can all benefit from it so so the the potential social value is enormous because yeah, because because it scales it. but there's really no way to create a market for that so the market well how so are you f- going to be able to support the people that are going to bring this change well, into the world well goods that are non non traditionally the, you know the, the label and the reason i chose that example 
um, non-rival, non-excludable, um, economists tend to refer to those as quote-unquote public goods. Not publicly provided goods, but public goods. But how do you support the individuals that are publicly so the, so providing the answer, those goods? So the answer, going all the way back to Adam Smith again, back in the 18th century, was public goods can't be provided by the market. They have to be provided by the state. So even Adam Smith, sort of the, you know, the, the, the father of modern economics, you know, basically argued that there was, a, there was a necessary role for the state. Now, the example he gave was like a lighthouse, national defense, things like that. But, but basic research, fundamental basic research is a public good. Art may be a public good. Um, you know, classic public good. Again, that's different than publicly provided, but they may need to be publicly provided. Um, otherwise, they, the market will never, you know, because of the free rider problem, the market will never pay for it. If you, and I'm sure you've experienced this, you paint this, you do this incredible piece of art, and everyone's like, I freaking love that. This is awesome. Yeah, and they give you, you know, all these virtual claps, but they don't give you, vir- they don't, you know, but they're like, they're satisfied because you couldn't exclude them. So they've already consumed it. So, so the only way that that makes any sense is basically for it to be, you know, for there to be a benefactor or the state to do that. So, no. Yeah. I mean, but this is a, at least we know this is the case that the markets don't do this well. And we teach this in basic economics classes, you know, that, you know, public goods, markets don't work. They can't do this. You know, so there is there are exceptions where markets fail. And we call them that in economics. We call them market failures. These are failures of the market. These, these are things that need to happen that the market doesn't cause to happen. And therefore, you have to have, well, you have to have government as well. You have to have a public sector as well. But what if there could be a, a generous person who could or a do bene- that. Or a benefactor. Or a benefactor. Sure, sure, sure. Then you can go back. I mean, this, is, this isn't this is a contemporary problem. But like, what if all the billionaires in the world today, instead of just becoming more super billionaires, yeah. uh, would be like, oh, well, I'll just be in charge of funding uh, science. I'll just be in charge of funding well, yeah, art. That's up to them. I mean, you know, Bill Gates is doing that. At least basic research on health. You know, um, uh, Musk is trying to get us to Mars. I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, I so, guess they're. You know, doing so stuff. but the problem is in a capitalist economy, that's their money to decide how to allocate, and not ours to decide for them how to allocate. If we decide for them how to allocate, then we're providing it publicly, right? We tax them and we redistribute it. That's well. I what, mean, I mean, I <laughs> personally feel like once you make a, like a certain amount of money, then you just should be capped. But then, yeah, well, anyway, that's that's <laughs> another my conversation. <laughs> that's another conversation, and then then we take people who are. I don't know. Maybe I won't make it a separate conversation. Let me just caution about that. The reason why someone makes a lot of money is apparently they created a lot of value, and some people are just freaking good at that, you know. And some people are just rude. Well, I don't know that asshole it's, bullies Amazon. Think about Amazon. Think about Amazon. But if you go back and watch Jeff Bezos and like some of the the interviews he gave in the 1990s, that was pretty inspired. He 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 created this idea. I mean, this was, and he created a ton of efficiency that made him very rich. Now, in hindsight, 
I don't know. I know, but now look at what he's doing. Well, How do we prevent this from happening? Yeah, okay. Well, then that's, you can either regulate. You society says do the political process. Well, there's some things we don't like, like paying people less than X number of dollars or making people work more than Y number of hours. Or That's why we have those or, kind of laws. Or here's a great idea. If we paid the teachers more and the teachers would have been there for Jeff Bezos as a child. But apparently they he would have had. Okay. Well, I'm just saying, what if he had a different support system? Yeah. But, but yeah, but again, he was just a terribly bright guy and had an idea. But, um, but what I was going to say is if you didn't say, well, okay, Jeff, you made your share. Let's take you off the table and put someone else in charge. Yeah. Then they're not going to create as much value for society. So there's that's a tricky thing. You know, it's a tricky thing. I, w- I would love for them to, of their own, you know, I, I'll give you, you know, three solutions. I mean, of their own, must two, but uh, their own benevolence for them to support society. Um, then I say that's, that's, that's awesome. Great. Good for you. Um, or society say, okay, you're not benevolent enough. Therefore, we are going to tax you. And we are going to take that money away from you and we're going to give it to people who need it. But that would be great. Well, that's what we do. That's why we do have taxes and why we do redistribute income. Well, we do that already. Yeah. But we could but do it more. So I don't, yeah, I don't really get the idea that that's happening. Well, it could happen more. So that was well, a constant debate. At the rate that it well, that's a, that's a, that's, is reasonable. That's, yeah. That's a, that's a political decision that we have to decide collectively. And you've got people on both sides. You've know, you got people like Warren Buffett saying, tax me more. And I'm sure you have billionaires saying, don't tax me more. I don't, you know, but that's... Okay, yeah, I get This is a whole, whole, other, whole yeah, other arena of a thing. But. Yeah, but, but you're right. But but I was going to say earlier is, yeah, obviously, you have... The arts need a benefactor. The market won't do it. I mean, Mozart. You know, Mozart uh, wrote music for for the king of Austria. But, you know, you have to have a benefactor. Even then, artists had to have a benefactor. Artists have always needed a benefactor. Because the market doesn't work for that. So, okay. I mean, we know that. And that's sad, but it's true. But what's going on here with this bigger split in the income inequality? Because that seems to be rapid. And that's one of my the things that I'm most disturbed by. And one of the reasons why, before I really under... And I still might say this, because I really don't quite have a handle on all these words yet. But it's, it's why I say I don't like capitalism. Yeah, well, I, I, I think it's, I, I blame that one on globalization and not capitalism. Capital, but but it's, the, it's how capitalism behaves in the context of globalization. So, I mean, there's different, you could give different arguments for it. I can remember when I was a college student, you know, meeting, I remember, uh, it was Dean Stolte, he was, he, he was also an economist. Um, so, like, my, my second year of college, and, and I remember talking to this guy, and, um, and he told me about this book. So this is like like 1984 or something like that. But this tell me about this book by this guy I'd never heard of, Robert Reich. Now lots of people have heard of Robert Reich. He was Labor Secretary under Clinton, and um, and it's been a kind of an outspoken, you know, um, I don't know, public figure for some time now. But anyway, he read this book, and and in the book he talked about sort of the bifurcation of society and this was before this really happened cuz really this this income inequality that we're experiencing really kind of picked up steam in the uh, the 1980s so when we started really noticing it 
Um, so he was kind of early on this. And he's the one who really talked about this idea I was getting at earlier, that, that society was going to bifurcate, split into parts. And he, he, del- and I, um, he said it was really kind of, he used the term abstract conceptualizer, that there were people who were really good at abstract conceptualization. You can think about abstract ideas. And these became the people basically like Jeff Bezos. Uh, people who could think in the, uh, you know, see, you know, big picture thinkers, see how the world could become, see how things could be put together in new ways. You know, you could think in the abstract. And these people would do really well. Uh, you know, th- 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 so that's me. You know, people in finance and, you know, and, and artists, although they're selling a product into a market, it doesn't work. But, but that's abstract conceptualization. And then you have people who don't do that very concrete, tangible, you know, people, um, kinest- you know, more of kinesthetic. Um, these people weren't going to do as well. And because, you know, and, and he was so right. And this was, you know, before, you know, computers were still very, you know, relatively new, personal computers were, uh, long before the information economy came along. But, oh, he was so right. So really, this is what's happened to our society is particularly with the loss of manufacturing, which I blame on globalization, which is why I say I blame it on globalization and capitalists responding in their self-interest to the opportunity to move production offshore where they could earn higher profits. And just for a second here, because I think this is important. The, and you think that the biggest thing that like the, our listeners today can do and what I can do to kind of revert this would be to support local business and pay that extra money to support. Yeah, yeah, local. yeah. If that's okay. if you care about this, yeah, that's that's that is the answer. Yeah, that's what happened. So yeah, so what happened is um, as the world economy kind of opened up, beginning in the eighties, seventies, but in the eighties, you know, we started moving a lot more production offshore. Um, it made sense for the capitalist because then obviously, you know, we sell product for the same price, lower cost, more profit for you. So that is capitalism that's, that's doing this, but it's also globalization that's allowing capitalism to do this. Um, so, so anyway, so what that did is the jobs that left here at the U.S. were either jobs that where you needed to really be good have you know have a good education and be really good at thinking about things in an abstract way or unless you could get into the trades the trades have done okay but only so many the trades really need so many people now by that i'm talking about like you know bricklayers plumbers electricians things like that otherwise no there's really not much opportunity for you you know you're working across the street at the grocery which you know was my first job but uh um so that's that's what's happened to us. But so the answer, yeah, you're right. The answer is to push back against that as a consumer, as an investor. So so pay attention to where your money goes because it's efficiency. What caused it was capitalism chasing efficiency, which is what capitalists do. So the answer to that is inefficiency. Deliberate inefficiency. You don't buy your candle at the lowest possible price at Walmart. You buy your candle from someone who makes candles in the U.S., in your community, ideally. It's going to cost you more, 
But that's the answer to the problem. Yeah. I mean, I think there's also a lot to be said about knowing who you're supporting because then it be, it's like you're trading your what you have, your wealth, and you know, you're giving it over into another human being that you can see or at least know that this person exists, if not oh, yeah, I, see I, them. I, no, no, I, I think that's it's not something it's I really I think it's psychologically to, yeah, nice. it's not, I don't know how to like express these kind of thoughts very well, but uh, you know, so you're really trading efficiency for community. I, I, yeah, I exactly. That. Community. That's what I was saying. Because then it's like an interaction that matters. It's not just a number that's on the screen. That and yeah. that that might be p- where part of the problem came too. Is like if everything's just a number, mm-hmm. and you don't see people as people anymore. Yeah, yeah. I think the um, I think that's true. I think that's true. Yeah, I think the the one thing I'll, I'll toss out. You know, I've been answering questions mostly, but I'll toss out is like um, I think where that really becomes difficult for me is not the not not having my heart in the right place because I really don't care that much about consumption anyway um, is fear anxiety about the future so if I can pay five dollars for a candle or fifteen dollars for a candle I'm kind of reluctant to let go of that ten dollars for fear that I'll need it not that I want to go buy not that I want three candles not that I'm greedy and I want three candles instead of one it's just that fear that I might need that $10 at some point in the future. And so therefore to go ahead and give it to the candle maker, not knowing whether I'll need it seems irresponsible mm. or, or some fear. It makes me anxious. And so I, I will toss that out as sort of, um, yeah, people might feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, poten- a potential obstacle. Yeah. No, I mean, there's a lot of obstacles, and and especially, I mean, I think one of the biggest obstacles is just being in a situation where the di- difference between 5 and $15 matters. And, you know, when that difference actually matters versus when it's just a fear yeah. response, you know, that that's a big question. Yeah. Uh, but I do think a lot of people are living um, in some really scary financial situations and i just want to go back to this other thing because you talked about the grocery store okay across the street at the the grocery store how can we create a society where you can work at the grocery store and that's fine like why does that have to be such i mean i know now it's like well that's probably most likely not going to be the best job for you to have safe financially safety wise but i mean that's an important job we need those people we do we do and luckily, the, the grocery store across the street from us. Almost, I know. I think it's a pretty nice one. It, it is a nice one, and, and I and I know they're unionized, and so I think the workers are actually paid reasonably well, and some other. But but setting that aside, um, actually, I was gonna I was gonna bring up the same point. Here here's sort of the 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 the, the problem with what I'm saying. I think it's true. I do think if you want to be a responsible human being. This is what it means to be a responsible human being. But uh, the problem is doing it unilaterally. Um, so if I unilaterally go out of my way to spend more for things than I need to, that may not come back to benefit me in any any posit- in any physical way. Maybe psych- psychically I might feel like really great about myself, and, but, but not in any, any particular physical way. Whereas, no, it, but whereas, 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 if um, if I were to um, 
if we were to, let's just say hypothetically, we said we're not, and I'm sure I'll lose my my union card here for this, but uh, but uh, if we were to say we're never going to import candles again, well, no, that's that's not good enough. We're not going to trade globally anymore. Us society, personally? no society, not us, no, no, no society, all of us collectively, all of us collectively say we're only going to trade with each other. Or even a community says we're only going to trade within the community. Um, then if I support the candle maker, the candle maker is going to support another local person who's going to support me. The money stays within the community. So if I pay more and they pay more and they pay more, you know, the money stays in the community. It doesn't doesn't wind up in the pockets of you know, the, the capitalist. Whereas if I pay the candle maker more, pay them $15 for their candle, and then they go buy something from Amazon, hmm. then who benefits? Well, Jeff Bezos benefits. You know, so, so all I did was just give my money to Jeff indirectly through the candle maker. So, so doing this thing unilaterally, you know, given the system we have is a bit tricky. Um, so just throw that out there. And that may be... Yeah. Know, yeah, so... Man, this is a lot. Yeah. Well, it's complicated. Economics is complicated. Yeah, all systems are complicated. Not economics. All systems are complicated. But yeah. A lot, lot, to, lot to digest and think about and think through. I still think it's the responsible thing to do just because they're a human being and they need to make a you know living. And if you can afford to do that, you know, that's a difficult question. You can Everyone have, will have to decide that for themselves. Right. But if you can afford to do that, then that's the right thing to do. If you can't afford to do that, then that's okay. You know, you can't afford to. But, you know, no, no, no condemnation. Then it's not your fault. You know, you've got to eat. And if all you're going to do, you can only afford to buy your food at the lowest co- possible cost, then, then that's not your fault. No judgment. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for being so honest today. No, no worries. And letting me ask you all these really annoying questions that oh, you okay. typically just want to throw a pillow at me when I ask. Yeah, no, I usually <laughs> just try to ignore these questions. Like, yeah, yeah, just say you just sit there acting like, oh, no, don't know anything about this. That's right. That's <laughs> go right. run away. Yeah, so I just put on my my work hat and talk like this, and then uh, take my work hat off and say. I don't want to think about these things now. I only, I only okay. want to, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I do compartmentalize these things. Like uh, we all compartmentalize things. So I compartmentalize these social issues and, and you can understand why. Good gosh, it just eat you up. If you sit, spend all your time thinking about this and how intractable some of these issues are, you'd be like, yeah. Yeah. God, I'd be, I'd be like a millennial or something. It'd be crazy. <laughs> but uh, so instead I just, I just think about it when I think about it. And then I just, I don't. You know, I, I try to be responsible, but I, otherwise I just don't dwell on it and think about more pleasant things. And so let's throw your work hat off at this point. Sure, in sure. The chat. Work hat's off. Yeah. And let me ask you some other questions if you're if you're open to it. Just ah, so sure, people sure. Can yeah. Get to know you a bit. Sure. Yeah, we can always edit this part off anyway, right? Just slices. Yeah. Sure. Slice, slice audio here. Slice. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so what? Tell me about a few uh, 
mentors or books that have really inspired you like in life work head off books that have inspired me or mentors that have inspired me wow that's really tough um i I won't use the word mentor because i I don't think i i had a mentor that inspired me i've had mentors but none that really inspired me okay that's fine or concepts no 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 no, no, i I want to answer i want to answer but i want to just answer my own answer I, I I give you I can I've got three so far working on it, three answers. So um, I'll start with those. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So so two and it has nothing to do with my work. But so two, when I was a kid, I had a favorite television show. Yeah. Um, and um, and we'll we'll pretend you don't know the answer to this. But anyway, I had a favorite television show. Um, it was uh, the show uh, Kung Fu with David Carradine. Um, you know, set in the Old West. He was a he was a Shaolin monk that had uh, that had had to escape from China, had come to the West, was being chased by bounty hunters. So, so basically, it was it was uh, an opportunity to to I guess this was made in the like I guess late sixties, early seventies. So westerns were big at the time. Martial arts were big at the time, and Eastern philosophy. I mean, good gracious. Some, somebody out in California said, let's take these three genres that are really popular right now, and let's just mix them all in together in one show. But it was awesome. It was awesome. And everyone always made, you know, always criticized you know, their casting of David Carradine because you know, Bruce Lee had also gone, tried out for the part. But I think David Carradine made a much, much better uh, um, Taoist. So I'm glad they did. Anyway. Um, love the show. Absolutely love the show. But more importantly, I think it really shaped my values. And, I, and I'll, I'll tell you a couple, couple of ways. I mean, so, so you got this guy walking basically throughout the West, um, no change of clothes. You know, all he had was just like a, shoulder, a sack he carried on his, you know, on his side, um, and then like a sleeping bag. And that was it. And he just, you know, he, he, he uh, foraged for food. Um, and you know just a drifter incredibly incredibly simple life incredibly low consumption life very much so and i and it was just this like you know teenager and i just adored it i thought he was the coolest person ever i want to be just like him and that's you know that's the way i was and so and that's always stuck with me so that was my role model. And that's a lot because I was growing up in the 1980s, which is like during the Reagan years and sort of the, the zeitgeist of the time was, you know, the BMW, you know, the, you know, it was, it was, it was a real heyday for consumerism, you know, you know, coming out of the seventies, it was a reaction to the seventies. So it was, it was sort of free will capitalism and, you know, super, super consumerism. And so this, so me being in love with the show is just, just like, directly in contradiction to that and so it really kind of tempered my the influence the 80s had on me because i I was i didn't become that um you know as far as like people you know tangible people um um I already forgot what the third one was, but anyway, as far as tangible people, you know, it would have been my grandfather, just because again he was, but but more or less for the same reason, you know, just incredibly uncomplicated person, very uncomplicated, um, just 
straightforward, incredibly honest, incredibly generous, um, very modest in appearance. Like you, know, most of most of the time I knew him, you know, he always wore like monochromatic work clothes. You know, he was a mailman, so he didn't need to do that. But they just did. He always like gray pants, gray work shirt, button to the top. You know, just like this super super. Um, what they, I guess they'd call gray person. You know, you're just sort of like very non-assuming, but very, very smart and very, very nice, but just, you know, just not, non-assuming is the right word. He just didn't want to stand out. And and I, and I always liked that. I always appreciated him more so than, than perhaps other people. Um, and I said I had three. What was the third one? What was the third one? Do you remember? I never, never answered you, but... Um, so, um, oh, books, books. Yeah, we never got to books. That was it. Okay. Uh, yeah, probably the book is actually the book that kind of stands out in my mind most. Um, at least that, that always comes to my mind when anyone asks, you know, is, in, I have no idea what has anything to do whatsoever with my life, um, but is On the Road with by Jack Kerouac. I worked that into an exam just yesterday. I was writing an exam and, you know, I wrote, <laughs> wrote it into it. I, I, you know, it's just like always on my mind. Um, I read that relatively early. There's maybe some similarities. Certainly got the drifter thing going there, but but this was a road trip rather than a drifter. But he was a drifter in the in the book too. Um, and, but, uh, you know, sort of like, but but, but in a way, maybe that's, they're all very similar. Um, you know, because again, it was sort of this sort of... Um, like who needs a job who needs you know that who needs stability who needs these things you know it's all about the experience it's all about learning it's all about you know life and real stuff and so i i think um so i think maybe the the show kung fu and 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 on the road by kerouac they probably had that kind of in common like being in the moment no i would not say yes no Definitely, yes, yes. I had to think about that for a second. Yeah, a lot of times that I'm always a little cautious when people say in the moment. But yeah, yes, in the moment. Yeah, dealing with life, not not dealing with the past, not dealing with the future. Just dealing very consciously with the present. Yeah, I think so. And and also about values. They both they were both about a different set of values, non non consumerism. They were both about you know, in one case, it was about, um, you know, living life well, you know, it was philosophical, but living life well. And the other was living life fully. But there, but neither was about stability, you know, mortgage payments, cars, stuff like that. None of, none, neither, none of, nothing that ever interested me was like that. Because I can remember growing, you know, when I was... Uh, that age, you know, that kind of formative age, you know, that was like when Dynasty was big. This is the '80s. You know, people just loved the idea of wealth and the super wealth. Dallas was a big, was a popular show. The super wealthy people were just fascinated with that, and it, it just didn't resonate with me. You know, um, I just was like, nah, I'm kind of like, kind of like, not. That's not where I'm at. My mind's elsewhere. You know, I'm just sort of like floating around up here in the clouds. You know, being responsible getting my stuff done but just don't really care so anyway i guess that's my answer 
Hmm. I have others come to me, but those those are always like my go to. Yeah, no, I just I I always think it's so interesting the contrast between like your mindset about those kinds of things and then being an economist. Not at all. Being an economist is, um, you know, economics is is economics doesn't have a presumed answer. Economics is a is a series of questions. Economics is like. You know, so it's, it's, like, it's, core, it's very different than business, would you say? Yeah, it's completely different. Yeah, economics economics is dealing with um, one really fundamental question. How do we provide the best possible existence to the most people? You know, uh, microeconomics, which is my, my particular area, is really kind of, is, is sort of like the question of, there's a scarcity of resources, you know, meaning that, we can't have everything we want. We can have everything we need, but we can't have everything we want. And so how do we decide what we actually do with those resources? That's it. That's all economics is about. It doesn't presume that consumption's the best answer. It doesn't presume business is the best way of making the decision. It's really only interested in how do we do this? You know, what do we make? How do we make it? And for whom is it made? The three questions. That's how we always introduce microeconomics. And so it's really, no, it's, it's quite the opposite. If you're interested in values, and if you're interested in people and, and the well-being of, of society, I mean, it's what economics is all about. You know, there's a lot of other stuff you kind of learn tangential to that. But yeah. So if you could wave a magic wand mm-hmm. over the world, what would you change? What's one thing that you would change oh I, would, I think I would just uh, you know scale back people's wants yeah and I think I think everything else would fall into place I think if people were less concerned about material consumption it's really consumerism that that concerns me you know but if people were less concerned about their about material possessions if we drop back to a the lifestyle of a society where we had a median income of thirty thousand dollars, instead of sixty thousand dollars, you know, I think um, we'd be okay. We were okay a century ago. We'd be okay, but with all the you know the, the technology we have and all the knowledge we have now, wow! Think what we could do with all those those surplus resources that we wouldn't be using to, you know, using for for stupid stuff. Do you think we could also work less hours? Well, absolutely. We could because work. Because I yeah. don't, that's another, we'll have to have a whole another conversation. <laughs> well, not at all. I mean, that's just a form of consumption. No, obviously we could. Obviously we could. Yeah. Yeah. So we could have much more enriched lives if we would just, but it's our values that are, so instead of valuing community, instead of valuing, you know, you know, all of us getting together you know, in the town square for uh, to, to listen to, you know, live music. We stay yeah, at home like and watch life. our big televisions and watch, you know, watch music on by ourselves at home. You know, it's, it's values. Our values have gotten really, really skewed. You know, there's a there's a great book, you know, Bowling Alone, that's all about this. That's that's well worth the read about what's happened to us, how we've, we've really become less and less community oriented and more and more sort of, I guess, insular in how that's uh, damaged society. But yeah. If you could go back, let's say 
10 or 15 years in your life, uh, what would you tell yourself? 10 to 15 years isn't very far for me. Um, but, uh, well, 10 or 15. I mean, you are still a different person. Yeah, I know. I just started to think. 20 like, years? You yeah, want, do yeah, you want to go yeah. back 20 years? Oh, let me think for just a second. Yeah, I would, I would tell myself, take more risk. Certainly tell myself to take more risk. And um, I like to, I was. I'm not really too uptight about that. You know, I'd have to go back further to... Take more risk is good. Yeah. So I'd probably, yeah, take more risks, try things. Don't be, don't be so afraid of failure. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's the big one for me. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I have a couple more questions for you. That's okay. They're rattling around in here. That's okay. You can enter out all this dead space later. Or I can leave it. Or I could, I could try to hum or something just to fill the dead space. What is one practice or ritual that you engage in that you think helps you be the best version of you? I, I will not answer the question as asked, but I will answer. I um, Because it's not one, it's a collective uh, collection. That's fine. I think a well-ordered life um, makes a rich life more possible. So I, I, um, I try to live a really well-ordered life as much as I can. And that allows me to do more. And you know, I heard someone the other day talking about this. I don't remember who, where... But I thought, yeah, you, you kind of got it. But I mean, it's it's really the the more that you can automate, for lack of a better word, the unimportant things, the unimportant decisions, the more bandwidth you leave for the bigger things. And so I really try as much as possible to systematize anything that seems like it could be easily systematized. So if I can, you know, if I have my routine, you know, for how I get ready to go pick up my son, you know, I've got my routine and I know it. It doesn't change. And because it doesn't change, I don't have to think about it before I go do it, which then allows me to keep thinking about whatever it is I feel like thinking about that moment. So, yeah, so that it's not a ritual. But it's, it's, it's certainly a life philosophy that leads to a series of rituals, you know, sort of a collection of rituals, if you want to call them rituals or habits or whatever you want to call them. But, but yeah, so that's the answer I'll give you. Okay. You can call them whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Yeah. So when you think about the future of the earth, what are you most excited about? that you see that's coming our way okay first i never think about the future of the earth <laughs> so anything i give you is going to be made up on the fly it never happens the earth is on its own and um 
and I, and I mean that quite quite okay i didn't mean literally like the planet like no no i mean, I mean that as well i know what you mean by 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 the earth you mean us collectively yeah but, but i don't i don't and, and I, that's really that's probably important and we probably could have a whole another podcast just on that but uh i don't um you know i i if I, I don't really have a life philosophy if i do i probably am a Taoist. but um I'm just kind of in the flow of this thing. You know, I'm just kind of swimming with the stream. I don't know where it's going. Mm-hmm. You know, when I get out of the stream or I sink, whichever comes first, um, you know, it's going to keep going wherever it's going. And that's cool. You know, whatever. So I I spend absolutely no bandwidth on those types of questions. I really just kind of live in the moment, in my own existence in the moment. Um, and that's just kind of where I think I ought to be. Okay. Yeah, that's, just, that's, that's my life philosophy. Yeah, so, but anyway, I, I, you know, you're a lot younger than me, and so I, I, I hope everything goes really well. If there's anything I can do to nudge it in a, in a, in a good direction, you know, that is the stream of you know, our existence. I will do that, you know, because I care about people younger than me. Um, but, you know, this is all pretty, pretty transit, you know, pretty, pretty temporary transitory. So I, you know, I'm just, just, just floating along in the stream. I mean, I, I think that's a very valid answer. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you a, a variation of the question then. What, what are you excited about bringing into your life in the next, let's say, like, couple months? Well, goodness, that's okay. I think it's like really personal. Um, I'm trying to re. I'm, I guess of like a couple of things going simultaneously. So one, I am trying to order my life more. That, that is actually one of my goals, you know, between now and like August. I'm on sabbatical. So between now and August, one of my goals is to get my life in order. Mostly my professional life, but get my life in order so that I can do more. Because, there, you know, because there's things that are just a bit too ad hoc that don't need to be ad hoc. And I just know that, it, and there are things that just kind of got put on the back burner that need to come off the back burner so that I can free up that bandwidth. Because, you know, anything that's un, undone, it's still taking up a little bit of space. So it's, you know, until it's done, it's, it's, it's in the way it's clutter. Um, so I'm decluttering my mental, my, my, my psyche. So that, that, that means lots of things, you know, mostly, mostly work related, organizing things, you know, you know, both physically and, and, you know, kind of abstractly. Um, at the same time, I'm also trying to address sort of this question of, hey, I should take more risk. I, I want to try some new stuff. And I want to try new stuff that I think I might fail at. Because I've never tried stuff that I think I might fail at. And I'm really mad at myself thinking for that. But that's okay. You know, as you know, the saying goes, best time to do it was, you know, was in the past. Second best time to do it's now. So I can't go back and change anything in the past. Not, not interested in trying to do so, but I can do it now. And so I'm going to try some things. I don't really want to be specific about what, because I, I never do that. I never, uh, 
if I decide I'm going to run a marathon, no one's going to know I want to run a marathon until I run a marathon. You know, some people are that. Some people do the opposite. Mm-hmm. I've always yeah, read, I've always read that that uh, that sort of dispels the energy and and so I don't do that. I keep it to myself until I've done it. You know, I don't I don't need. Uh, listening to the bus announcement but uh but yeah so um so i have things but um we'll see so maybe you can come back on and talk about that on the other side yeah maybe so maybe not who knows yeah if they i mean if, we'll see i don't even know what you're talking about yeah so we'll see if they're you don't even tell me <laughs> yeah, that's right well no of course not that would that would uh, that would that would uh, destroy the magic so yeah no yeah so anyway yeah i mean I, people are big believers of that i mean i I wonder if there are different types of people. Well, I've heard both. I mean, you know, some people say, you know, tell everyone that you're going to do it so that you have accountability. But I really have read that, you know, there's research that 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 actually feels like you did it. It doesn't feel like that to me at all. It gives you that. um, It's just something I've read. Yeah. But uh, but, you know, that it gives you that that satisfaction. You know, so to to make that brave proclamation, I'm going to run the marathon you know, gives a lot of the same chemical response as actually having done it does. Hmm. And and so I don't want to do that. So I don't get any credit for it until it's done. I don't want anyone saying, that's great, you're going to do that. No. If I did it, that's great. Hmm. And even then I may not tell you. You know, I may not tell people. Because, you know, I did it for me. I didn't do it for them. Um, but Hopefully uh, you'll tell me, though. Maybe. Yeah, possibly, yeah. Probably. Probably, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Depending on if I think it's important or not to you. But, yeah. Or All right. Important. Well, that, now I'm really interested, and I'm sure a lot of people are, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. We won't talk any more about it. We, no, 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 no. No more. No more not words will be for said mayor, about the thing. Not running for Congress. Not running for president. Not uh, <laughs> nothing. Yeah. So, All yeah. right. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. What's that? Yeah. How do you get to work my mother back into this? Well, <laughs> yeah, I have. We went astray. We went. Yeah. We were, I thought that was going to be like the, the unifying well, what thing. A, what else did you say about that card, though? Fossil? I saw a fossil. I saw I saw it for what it was, which was clay. You know, forms. saw it for what it was. Yeah. And I saw the colors in the in the in the fact that it was monochromatic, which you did touch upon that again. And it was tan, which is what you know. Yeah, we got one more important question here, though. Yeah. Every week, I invite the guests to give a challenge to the listeners to okay. complete. Okay. Um, so here's your opportunity to send people on an adventure. Ask them to do a thing. Oh, that day. okay. Why don't we just why don't we just go with what we talked about for so long? Yeah, in the next week, go deliberately pay more for something than you need to from someone you want to buy it from because of who they are. Go buy that Perfect. candle or whatever yeah. it is that you need. Yes, yeah. Do that just one time. Just do that one that one act of social consumption. That that's that's it. All right, and as I've been mentioning in the past couple weeks, um, if you have a cool experience or you want to tell your story about the weekly challenge, please send me an email. 
and I'm going to be sharing these in a future episode. Cool. So thank you so much. You're very welcome. For your time. You're welcome. getting on the microphone with me. Yeah. I think I, you're going to do it again? Uh, I, well, I don't know. I'll have to wait till you edit it and see, yeah, whether you want me to. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Maybe another, how long did it take us to get this one going? A little bit. A few months? So yeah. maybe in another few months, we'll see. Yeah? Yeah. Well, I had fun with you, and I'm glad I finally got to ask you some really annoying questions. Yeah, I'm glad you got all these economics questions out of your head, so you don't have to ask me anymore, so I don't have to deflect. I, w- I won't do that. No, sorry. S- I'll save it for the... That's right, yeah. So yeah, The so microphone, or I'll have you send you to other podcasts. That's right, so yeah, right. Like, let me keep my life compartmentalized. That's right, very good. Any tips? No. No, it was nice. No. Let's go get some dinner. All right. Sorry you guys can't come with us. Well, I'll talk to you guys again next week for more Archives for Aliens. Thanks for tuning in. 